0: God, we just position ourselves before you today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. I ask that you would give us ears to hear today. God, that that truly you would help uh, point us in the direction of having ears to hear today. God, give us hearts that are willing to receive your word Feet that are willing to run with obedience, God. Help our minds comprehend um, your word, God. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the kids today, Darren, uh, Lisa, and Gary are taking a weekend off. So God bless them in that. But the kids are having a water day And Darren said around 11.30 that we might hear some noise because the Mechanicsburg Fire Department is going to be here. So he's going to blow the kids to the moon. So um, good good news is is we have waivers signed that you cannot sue me or the church and that it will all be on Darren. So... um, So the fire department will be here. What a unique experience to get the fire department out here. You know what would be really awesome is if if our hearts were so pure in our worship towards Christ, that as the fire department drove up on our property, that they would just sense peace, joy, and happiness, right? That they would leave here with greater hope because of the way that our kids love them. So I'm, I'm happy that the fire department's coming out here, but I hope that they experience the fire of Christ. So, um... Many of us have things we would change about this generation, right? There's a lot to change. And many of the older generations say if the younger generation would just be different, those radicals. Have you ever listened to their music? All they do in their music is gra gra and right? That's all they do. That's not good music. But I dare to say that few of us are willing to really bring the change that the Bible says. Now, when I say few, am I specifically saying those here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship? I'll let you decide. I do know that Scripture says in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Few. Breaks my heart. There's a lot of harvest within our community. Mechanicsburg. There's a lot of harvest in uh, West Liberty. Belfontain. Madison County. Clark County. There's a lot of harvest, but the workers are few. So we're beginning our outreach series, and I believe this is going to challenge all of us. If it doesn't, then you are, one, either in denial, or two, you should be teaching a class for us. My question is, when it comes to serving God, how do you fully do that if that doesn't involve other people? I believe far too often we think that I can serve God by just serving myself and my family all the time. I truly believe that serving God is serving people. Give me examples in your life, right? Rhetorical question. Don't yell them out. But give me examples in your life where God has called you to serve Him through only serving yourself. Do you have any? Most of the time, what keeps us from serving people, though, is what? What keeps us from serving people? People. People keep us from serving people. You want to know why? People are rude. They're tiring. They're exhausting. They're thick headed. They're annoying. They're hard to be around. I mean, the list could go on, right? And sometimes they're all right. If they get you Chipotle gift cards, there's a lot of grace. But I am learning that many of you guys do not like Chipotle which, um, or what Chipotle stands for. I saw some posts this weekend about um, yeah, Chipotle and the free-range stuff. And I said, shoot, if I want to keep a church, I better quit promoting Chipotle. People are challenging, right? It, if someone is challenging in your life, raise your hand. If you have someone who's challenging... If the person next to you is challenging, raise your hand. <laughs> Just look at him. Just look at him right now and say, you are challenging. Toto, you are challenging, bro. Toto had to be closer today. He wanted to be a part of the Hollerback Church. He was, uh, he was bragging last week. He said, I'm going to beat you in cornhole. I said, Bet. So Toto and I are going to have to do that sometime. People can become so challenging, right, that we shut the door to them and on them. We write them off. But we have to realize that Christ requires our availability. Far too often we talk about the change we want to see in our community, wherever our community may be, but yet we're never available for that change. To make any kind of impact in this world, we must first be available to Christ. Were you available to Christ this morning as you came into church? As we had the opportunity to worship and praise Him, did you just come to church? Or were you available to Him to say, God, if you want me to go over um, to share a word with someone, if you want me to encourage someone, if you want me to give someone a $5 bill, I was available. We must first be available. Far too often we want God to give us the mission first. To see if we are available to do what he asks. Right? Joey, I want you to do this. He doesn't want to always give us the mission first. If we like the mission that he gives us, or if we know the mission will be easy, then... Our availability becomes open, right? But if we don't like it, then we're not available. God wants our willingness and our availability first. Then He will give us the mission. God wants our availability first. Then He will give us the mission. It's not mission first and then availability. Are you available to Christ today? Are you available if he says, after service, I want every single one of you to go to Berg 1 and preach the gospel. Would you do it? If so, to what extent? Isaiah 6.8 says this, that I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. There is a work to be done for God, right? There's a work to be done in our communities. In this very community, there's a work to be done. Who's doing it? And God chooses, there's a work to be done and God chooses to use us. God chooses to use us as instruments of his work. Now, in this scripture specifically, it is inferred that there was no one there available to walk out the mission. But yet one person said, send me, I will go. Send me, I'll go. Drew, send me, I'll go. I see Drew was that one. They were willing, and what also were they? Available. Many of us have heard the analogy. I know this isn't a blank sheet of paper, but to sign the sheet of paper right at the bottom and then give it to God and let him fill in the rest. The blank sheet. Not to look over every detail that God has put before us, and then decide whether we want to do it or not. Because I dare to say that if, that if what God calls us to is actually accomplishable within our own strength, then we're probably not living by faith. I believe that most of the things that God calls call us to are so far above what we can grasp that we have to live by faith to see it come to happen. Noah will build an ark. I don't think he was an ark builder before that. I don't think the earth had ever seen a boat that size. Actually, Luke 14 tells us this. Count the cost before you sign that sheet of paper. Because what does he require? Everything. God wants everything from us. So when we sign up, when, when we say, God, I'm available, God, I'm willing to be obedient, God, I want to serve you, guess what that consists of? Everything. Your finances, your, your job, the way you interact with people, your thoughts. Our everything includes our availability, our willingness in everything that he asks us to do. So what we have to remember is our availability doesn't always mean earthly success, though, right? We always have all these strings attached. We think that, that God, when I become available to you, that everything's just going to be all right, that everything's going to work out. My, my house will be paid for, my car, my car will be paid for, life will be successful. But following Christ doesn't always mean earthly success, 1 Peter 4.10 God has given, given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. I don't see anything here about where it says use them so that you can become successful. It doesn't say use your gift to become successful. It says use them to serve one another. God isn't calling us to be successful. He's calling us to be faithful and using our gift to serve others. Faithful. I do not believe with all of the souls we want to see saved in our communities that faithful is a a once-in-a-lifetime type thing. Just because I was once faithful doesn't mean I was faithful today. Faithful doesn't mean with the people we are comfortable with either. It's easy for me to be faithful in my availability, in my obedience with my family, with my friends, with the people I prefer. Faithful doesn't mean we will wait for another person to start. Faithful doesn't mean you will like it. Faithful doesn't... Um, doesn't mean success will come your way. And this is all in light of the first statement that I made. We have a generation of people, young and old, who who we would like to see different. The gift that God has given you is to bring salvation, to bring life, to break chains to this generation so that they can surrender to him. How are you being faithful with the gift that God has given you? Faithful means, in spite of all else, we will be obedient to God, in spite of everything else. Now, one of the biggest questions that Christians or believers have is, Well, I don't know what my gift is. Well, you know what? That's not God's fault right? If you don't know what your gift is, read the Bible, pursue him in prayer, and talk to a church leader. You can discover what your gift is. Far too often we think that one has to be an evangelist to share the gospel, right? How many of you guys ever think that? Seriously, in your subconscious, don't you often think that the only one who's supposed to be out on the street sharing the gospel is the evangelist? And far too often we say, that's not my gift. So we see a brother in need, we see a sister in need, we see someone at Walmart who probably doesn't know Jesus, and what do we say? That's for the evangelist. Really? Is it really? Are the evangelists the only people in the Bible who can share the good news of Jesus? I do not see in the Bible where the teacher is not supposed to spread the gospel. I do not see in the Bible where a person gifted in administration is not supposed to preach the gospel. I cannot find where the businessman, the farmer, the fisherman, the student, or stay-at-home parent is not supposed to share the gospel. We can't limit sharing the gospel to one gift. I don't see where only men are supposed to spread the gospel and women are not. I don't see where women are only supposed to spread the gospel and men are not. But what I can make a case for is we're all called as Christians to do that, as Christians, as believers. can't find anywhere in the Bible where Christians are not supposed to share that good news. It's like this. When you go to Taco Bell at late night, right? When you got the late night munchies. That used to be one of their slogans, wasn't it? When you have the late night munchies and you go to Taco Bell and you order three gorditos, whatever they are, with extra beans and hot sauce you eat those what's gonna happen at 3 in the morning I'm serious you know what's gonna happen your stomach's gonna start speaking in tongues your body's gonna get the interpretation and that demons gonna be delivered in the toilet you know what you're gonna get preach preach you know what you're going to get. Likewise, in Luke 14, when Christ tells us to count the cost, when you become a Christian, you should have counted the cost of what you're going to get. And you know what? One of the things that we overlook often in the Christian world is that when we signed up to be a Christian, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we confessed with my mouth, and believed in my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose 3 days later for the atonement of my sins. When I did that there's something I get. And you want to know what that is? That I'm telling him that I'm willing to spread the good news. I will do it. It's not an if and it's literally just not trying to get my brother saved. Because he knows where I stand. I preach the gospel. And Sammy's saved. But you know, I like to pick on him. It's just not always about preaching to the people that I'm comfortable with. It's that I wear Christ on my life wherever I go, wherever I'm at. And you know what? Even being willing to make a fool of myself. And that's where I say far too often we limit preaching the gospel to the evangelist or to the preacher or to the teacher or to the apostle. It's actually for you and me. If um, in 40 years I retire from Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship or in five years, who knows, right? My heart's here. God may do something different. If I don't have the title preacher, does that mean I don't spread the good news? No. No. If I become a Chipotle line worker or a Honda line worker, does that mean I don't spread the good news? I spread the good news based upon who I am. And who am I? A son of Christ. And who are you guys? Hopefully children of the Most High as well. And as children, as a child of Christ, I'm proud of my father. I'm happy to be a son. And I'm not ashamed of it. I want other people to be set free. I want other people to experience true life, true freedom, true peace, and have eternal life in heaven. I fear those people going to hell more than I fear their response to me. I'm willing to make myself look like an idiot and ask people if I can give them vacuums. I'm willing to make myself look like an idiot in a tire shop and ask a guy if I can pray for him and if he was abused when he was younger because I fear where they may be. And you know what I also fear is that scripture says that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few and the competitive nature in me says send me, I'll go. I'll be one of the few. I'll be one of the few. I'll be one of the few. See, you reap what you sow, right? You guys have all heard that. Do you realize how many Christians desire for friends and family members to be saved? Actually, how many of you right now have someone in your life that you wish was saved? Hopefully all of us. But far too often, we think about them being saved rather than actually sowing seeds. That's why I often, you know, a few weeks ago, I said we often think about worship rather than actually engaging and honoring Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously." This is really just a, um, a life principle, right? We all know about John Chapman, right? Johnny Appleseed, what did he do? He planted a lot of seeds. But actually what many people don't realize is he, um, based upon the research that I've done, he actually really loved Jesus. And he, as he planted seeds, the Indian tribes would welcome him in not only because he um, was giving them fruits and bringing life to their community, but because he knew the Great Spirit. They recognized that there was something about him that was different. He planted a lot of seeds. Are you sower? Are you a sower of the gospel? Are you? Are you a sower of the gospel? I want to see Mechanicsburg changed. I don't want it to be weird for me to go to Pizza Alley getting a pizza and to pray for someone. I want it to be the norm that we see people in a Bowling Alley praying for one another. But if I wish about it, I'm not going to get anywhere. So what do I need to do? I need to sow seeds. Sow seeds, sow seeds, sow seeds. How many people this week that are unbelievers, that aren't saved, did you share the gospel with? Unsaved people. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Who's the harvest? I believe the harvest are those who are not saved. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I'm fairly certain that the apostles didn't only share the people or share the gospel with the people they were acquainted with. They were unapologetic people who shared the gospel and walked out the Great Commission as a way of life in the stores, at Starbucks in the computer labs, wherever they were, it was a way of life. They sowed, they watered, they they reaped. They sowed, they watered, they reaped. And scripture even alludes to, sometimes you reap what someone else watered, but they both received the reward. One day we will receive our rewards in heaven. So, Macy and I bought some sunflower seeds, right? We don't know what we're going to do with them yet. They're still in the pack. But we thought, hey, it would be fun to plant some sunflowers. In my notes, I say I brought one here today, but I actually forgot that I brought one here, or I, I forgot to put them in my bag last night. So let's just hypothetically say I have my pack of sunflowers right here. If I never plant these sunflowers, what kind of fruit am I going to get? None. I'm not going to get any fruit. What about, what about if I think about planting the sunflowers? What about if I have the best intentions? I have the best intentions to plant these sunflowers, but I'm not doing anything with these sunflowers. They're just sitting in the pantry at home. You mean to tell me I can't just have good intentions and produce fruit? We all confess that we have a generation that's in need. Young and old. Can we just have good intentions with this generation and hope that it gets better? Can we just think about the change we want to see in this generation? We can certainly pray about it. I cannot simply think and wish and hope to see growth in our communities. Now, hypothetically, I plant this seed. I plant the sunflower pack. You get like, I don't know, $20 for $1.95 a mire. I plant that pack. What am I going to get from the sunflower seeds? Sunflowers. I'm not going to get corn. You reap what you sow. What is your life sowing? What are you sowing in every conversation that you're having with people within our community? What are you sowing into the families that you're interacting with? What is your life sowing? Because you can't go out, get wasted on Friday night and have good intentions to share the good news and think that you're gonna reap harvest. I don't know about you guys, but I want um, an abundance of fruit. How many of you guys just want one? Look, it's a very cliche thing to say, and we do mean it, but if just one soul, I think that for the Christian is the uh, cognitive dissonance, because we're afraid of failing. I believe that we all want a lot of fruit. I certainly do. So the other day, I believe it was Wednesday night, we had a leadership meeting here at the church. We brought in some uh, outside worship leader and outside uh, speaker to encourage us, and it was a really good evening. But beforehand, I was dressed um, similarly to this, and I saw some kids out playing basketball. I've never seen these kids before, and I grew up in this hood. I grew up in this dirty place. I said, I do not recognize you. I need to go out and have a conversation with you. So I wanted to try to relate to them. And one of the best things to relate to someone is to talk a lot of trash. And then if they beat you, they feel really good. <laughs> and then, and then if, if you beat them, then you're, you're just truthful. That's right. <laughs> so I saw these three boys out there. And I went out and I talked some trash. And I said, you see this crown on my head? I am balding and I am about to beat you in basketball even though I'm in my work clothes. And they laughed. I said, I'm serious, let's go. And I met all of them. They were all J names, Jordan, Jeremy, and um, whatever else. I don't even know if those were their three names. What ended up happening is I beat them. So they knew that I was a truth speaker. While we were playing, God started to move in my heart. And he said, these kids need, need, need to know me. And this crazy thought came to my mind that one of them was abused by their father when they were a child. And now I'm starting to get nervous. gummit. God really humbled me now. I came out here talking all this trash and now I have to say something so far to the left. I want to reap harvest. I want souls to be saved. So now I'm working this, and then two baby mamas came walking up, smoking Marlboros with their kids. Came up and gave one a kiss on the lips, and I'm like, ew, it's disgusting. I knew I had to share with them, so you know what I did? I said, hey guys, I just wanted to share with you that um, I have a relationship with God, and um, kind of weird for me to even say this, but I believe that God's saying that one of you were beaten by your father. And I was observing their faces as I was saying this. And I said, one of you, I believe, were beaten by your father when you were a child. And God wants you to know that he never left you, he never forsaken you, and that he wants to bring healing to your life as you forgive that person. And I said, if that's you today, if that's you today, I want to lay hands on you and pray for you. I made eye contact with one of these kids. I know it was him. I know it was him. So is that any of you? Nope, not me. Not me, not me. I was sowing seeds. I believe that one day someone will reap that, that as it's watered, as it's uh, nurtured, as it's cared for, But it was worth it for me to look like a fool. To be a fool. Maybe I was a fool. We went over that several months ago. If I'm crazy, it's for God. If I'm right, it's for you. I was crazy. True story. I meet with Tina Thursday. We're at Hemisphere having coffee. And I'm just uh, chatting. And I don't even know why I shared that story with her. I'm sharing that story with Tina. And that kid, as I'm sharing that story, drove right past us. And I said, praise God, thank you. I know, I know that it was him. And I know that as I pray that God's going to bring fruit in his life. We have to be willing to sow the gospel, sow love, sow care. If I just would have went out there and talked a lot of trash and beat them and then walked off, can we turn the game down just a little bit? If we would have, um, if I would have done that, they wouldn't have. Um, there wouldn't have been a seed planted. Who would have done it? So, to me, um, literally, um, you won't believe the phone calls that I receive about being in these multi-level marketing. I don't want to call them schemes, I'll call them businesses, because some of you guys might be in those businesses in here. These multi-marketing businesses, I get phone calls probably once a week, and they see this charismatic personality who's willing to go talk to strangers, and they say, he's someone that can do this. And you know what I always tell them? I'm already in the business because what I do is make every conversation about Christ. Every conversation. I'm in every, literally everyone that I see is a potential soul for Christ. And what's unique is Ken was telling me the other day, he said, Joey, you know what's interesting about Lindsay and I? The more that we hang out with you, we we begin to see that look. We begin to see that you're getting into the flow into the flow of, um, of ministry. Every soul is a potential, soul saved, soul set free. Macy and I desire to see this community set free. Do you see, do you desire to see your community set free? Bill, can we turn the gain down just a little bit more? Do you desire to see your community set free? urbana mechanicsburg Fountain, west liberty dayton do you desire to see that macy and i desire it so much that it makes every trip that we have to the grocery store interesting <laughs> she's nervous going to the store she's willing she's available But she sees it. A head bump. If I I get one of these and I get one back, I start a conversation. In every conversation, I bring Christ up. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Sure. You know what? We can wait for the opportunities to come to us. We can just say, you know what? God, you bring the opportunities to me. Or we can sow sparingly. Just throw all the seeds we got. And and you know what the good thing about it is? Is the gospel never runs out. The bag of the gospel, the life of the gospel, my seed bag never runs out. It's not like I have to choose how how um, how to take these 10 seeds and plant them. I keep on getting in the bag of the gospel and I can keep on planting seeds upon seeds, upon seeds, upon seeds, upon seeds, right? Are you guys with me? You're not asleep? All right. I would pray for the God of heaven to send down rain. So, The fun thing about the law of fruit though do you guys know about the law of fruit? I don't even know if it's the law of fruit but it is the law of fruit but the law of fruit is this you have one seed one seed makes one tomato plant right? how many tomatoes does a tomato plant produce each year? if you get them from Lowe's maybe like five if you get them from Walmart, I don't know maybe more one seed produces one tomato plant but you think of one tomato. On average, one tomato produces 150 to 300 seeds. One life, one seed that comes to life can mean how many lives, right? So, school teacher Edward Kimball helped lead Dwight Moody to Christ. Moody helped counsel Jay Chapman. Billy Sunday once worked for Chapman. Mordecai Ham was invited to Charlotte for a 1934 meeting because of a group that Sunday started with businessmen. At that meeting in 1934, Billy Graham happened to be there. Billy Graham made a greater commitment to Christ at that meeting. Billy Graham influenced how many lives in here? Billy Graham impacted how many lives around the world? Edward Kimball helped lead Dwight Moody to Christ. One seed that continued to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. Guess what? Got us Billy Graham. Think of all the seeds that you can plant, which are scary, that maybe we might have the next Billy Graham or greater. One seed produces abundantly more fruit than one could ever imagine. One of the problems is that most people in a large group, statistically, most people in a large group always wait for the next person to do it. Or they assume someone else is picking up the slack, which often results in nobody doing anything. Can you guys relate to that? Most people in a group just assume that something's going to be done. Many of us in here are saying I know someone else at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship is doing it, so they don't need me. We need everyone in this room to actively be engaged in a walk with Christ. To operate out of your gift. Because you know what? If you're assuming that someone else is doing it, that person who who you are assuming is doing it is probably assuming that you are doing it, which means nothing's ever happening. See, God has given us a model for how to plant these seeds. How to go out and live this life. And it's, it's something that we signed up for when we gave our life to Christ. God gave us a model that wasn't just for the preacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle, or the teacher. Hopefully you understand that today. But actually for the rich, for the poor, for the lonely, for the hurting... For the content, for the educated, for the uneducated, for anyone who calls themselves a Christian is required, required to walk this out. This isn't optional. I do not read where it says in Matthew 28, hey, if you want to, this would probably be a good idea to make you feel good about yourself. That's not what it says. It actually gives us an action word, go. Go and make disciples. We find this model in Matthew 28, and it is known as the Great Commission. Now, what is interesting to me is how many Christians even know what the Great Commission is. You realize that? Some of you guys are gulping in here like, I don't even know what the Great Commission is. Now, yes. So I want to share a few stats with you about this generation, about a few generations who interact with the Great Commission. So I don't know if you're going to be able to read these, these pictures or not. I'll read them to you, but let's go to the first one. All right. It looks like it's not bad quality. And um, I guess I should go to that one. So, knowledge of the Great Commission by generations. So, we have red elders, looks like green boomers, blue generation X and the blackish color millennials. Have have heard of and remember the Great Commission. 29% of elders have heard of and remember the Great Commission. 26% of boomers, 17% of generation X and 10% of millennials. I think what one of the problems is, is this, is we have an older generation, and I'll carefully but yet unapologetically say this, we have an older generation who's always frustrated with the younger generation, but what we see here is 10%, based upon this study, have heard the Great Commission. Who should we be hearing the Great Commission from? An older generation, right? Those who heard it first. Have heard but can't recall. 13% of elders have heard but can't recall the great... I wonder why they can't recall it. They know they've heard it. But I think it's probably because they're, um, they're getting old. They're getting closer to Jesus. Have heard of but can't remember the Great Commission. 16% of the boomers. 24% of Generation X. And 41%... Of the millennials. That's interesting to me. I think this stat right here is meaning that they're liars. I I think that's what I see there. They're they're liars. Um, You're a liar. Correctly identify the Great Commission from a list. 43% elders. 42% boomers. 41% Generation X. And 34% millennials. Guys, it's our job to partner with the generations. To teach, to equip, to prepare, to release, right? Let's not just look down upon the younger generation. Let's say they're unaware. What can I do? Right? What about this? Do not know the great commission. 48%, 56%, 53, 41. Let's go to the next slide. Alright, do churchgoers recognize the Great Commission among the other verses? So this was a survey of a thousand people of churchgoers in 2017. So let's see. If we, before before we shared the Great Commission, did a survey in here, what is the Great Commission? So 2% said, give back to Caesar. What is Caesar and God? What is God's? 5% Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Eight percent said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sixteen percent said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then you have two of the highest percentages. Maybe the Great Commission, or maybe it's not even here. Not sure if any of these passages are the Great Commission. 33%. 37% got it right. Go and make disciples. Crazy stat, right? Let's go to the next slide. All right, we have our nice pie chart here. Churchgoers, have you heard of the Great Commission? I am not sure, 6%. Yes, and it means. Yes, but I cannot recall the exact meaning, 25%. Look at half the pie. Have you heard of the Great Commission? 51% of churchgoers... Have not heard of the Great Commission. Based upon this study, that's sad. And what I would dare to say is, with the younger generation, with the younger generation, they will likely say they haven't heard of the Great Commission either. Please go home and make that your child. Make sure that your child and grandchild knows what the Great Commission is. Let's go to the next slide. Here's a question for this generation right here. Is moral truth absolute or relative? 35% say it's absolute, 44% say it's relative, and 21% say they have never thought about it. 44% of this generation, based upon this study, thinks that absolute truth is relative. You know what I keep on seeing here? Not that this is a horrible generation. That's not what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing here is that we, as a generation of believers, need to be out sharing the Great Commission, need to be making disciples, need to be preaching truth. Next slide. Of Christians um, asked, should we provide or have you provided food for a poor person or family? 76% of practicing Christians have and 58% of non-practicing Christians. Okay, next slide. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith, agree or disagree. In 1993, almost 90% of Christians said that that, that it was a responsibility. Today, 64% of people. That's where we get that lie and we think that certain people within the church, that that's their job or their gift. Next slide. U.S. religious identity in 2018. Christians. We're just going to look at Christians and we're going to look at none of these atheists and agnostics. So Generation Z, 42% were Christians. Agnostics, or none of these, you know, you had 13, 14%. Uh, percent. Agnostic, what, what was it? It looks like eight. And then you go to the um, elders, 51% were Christians. 5% were agnostic, 6% were atheist, 9% were none of these. Then you look at the Millennials, 44% is Christians. And what we should see here is from the elders to Generation Z, we're shrinking, we're shrinking in Christians, but yet we're increasing in atheism, um, being agnostic, or none of these. Why? Is it because the message isn't good anymore? Is it because the message isn't powerful and brings life? No. No. What is it? It's because I think that there's a generation of people who are not sowing seeds sparingly. Let's go to the next one. Who are the most likely, um, who are you most likely to see as a credible news source with this generation? A reporter is 39%. Can you believe that? Nobody, I trust my instincts 32%, a friend, family member or peer 27%, a famous academic 22%, a pastor I personally know 14, a teacher I personally know 12, a politician 7, a famous pastor 6, a celebrity 6. What does this tell you about this generation? we need to be involved in their lives. We need to invest into them. Let's go to the next one. All right, and positive effects of outreach, of going out into the world. 41% increased number of volunteers involved in outreach ministry. 62% sense of maturing discipleship among those involved who have eyes outward. 35% more previously unchurched people attending services. 25% increased number of uh, congregants. And 32% increased number of volunteers. So the more that we get our eyes outward and begin to serve other people, things start to look different here at the church. Is that the last slide? Yep. So we see where this generation is. Christianity is shrinking and we sit here and we watch and observe hoping that someone else is doing it. You know what I want? I want everyone here in this community to be sowers of seed. Even if you have to look like a fool. What's wrong with today or tomorrow when you see a stranger at Walmart, Aldi's, Save-A-Lot, Kroger, Tim Hortons, wherever you are, to go up and just say, are you born again? Why not say that? What's wrong with that question? We have a have an extremely misinformed generation who trusts reporters above all else, not God's word. Where was God's word on there? This generation. This is a generation that needs this church to walk out the Great Commission without any reserves. These stats are frightening. I believe that this has happened because a generation of believers have not been willing to obey what Christ has said in the Great Commission. They have fallen for the church make me feel good on Sunday's thing. A generation of churchgoers have fallen for that. Everyone, am I saying everyone? No. But there is a group of people that just really believe in Sunday make me feel good. So let's look at the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles... We're going to sit here for just a couple moments. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is important for you guys to know so that I know that you guys understand the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So Jesus addresses that he has all authority in heaven and earth. So we better listen to this guy, right? All authority. Every bit of it in heaven and earth. What's interesting is how many of us actually listen to our earthly bosses better than we do the being who has all authority. Our earthly bosses tell us to do something, yes. God suggests something, we say Maybe next month. Maybe when I get my time. So what does Jesus say to do? What does he say Christians should do? Go and make disciples of all nations. Christians, you, me, what are we supposed to do? Go and make disciples of all nations. You play a part in this. I play a part in this. Do you think that there will be question? Question that I thought. Question that I had. I proposed it to Ken the other day. So do you think that there's going to be Christians in heaven? Christians in heaven who never made a disciple. Now look, some people who give their life to Christ on the deathbed, right? they don't have time to make disciples, they're certainly going to be in heaven. But what about if you were a Christian for 40 years and you never made a disciple? My question then to Ken was, were you really a Christian? That's a hard pill to swallow. And I wasn't proposing it to him like, Ken, are you making a disciple? But what I was questioning is, we can't just think that we can live life as Christians and never pursue the Great Commission. And the challenging question would be is if we're not walking out the Great Commission, are we really living a life and surrender to Christ? Therefore, did we really mean it when we said I surrender everything to you? My hope is that we're willing to walk out the Great Commission. Try it. You're not going to be perfect at it. You're going to fail. I was humiliated out on the basketball court. That embarrassed me. It was a fail in my mind. But it was worth it. Will you be intentional this week to talk to an unsaved neighbor, a coworker, a friend, or someone you bump into on the way home from church? You can simply start the conversation like this. Are you born again? You guys heard, uh, heard my story several months ago about starting a conversation by asking someone, do you believe in the flat earth or the round earth? That led into a conversation about Jesus. You start however you want. But when you ask them, are you born again? That's a great way. Because some of them will say yes or no, or some of them will say, I don't know anything about that. Tell them what being born again means. Remember, you reap what you sow, and you cannot make disciples without being available, obedient, and committed. It will be hard. You will be hurt. But you will re- receive rewards in heaven one day. <coughs> Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. How many people have we been committed to and discipled to the point of them getting baptized? Baptized. Does it literally mean that you need to come up here and be the one that dunks them in water? No. Well, let's be people that are committed to see Christians and our friends and our peers who didn't know Christ, getting them to the point of baptism. Committing to them to the point of understanding the gospel and being obedient to baptism, right? How many people have we done that for and with? Let's strive for that, right? Teach them to obey everything that Jesus has said. I think far too often we believe that discipleship is just teaching people the way that we want to do life. Jesus gave us a model here. Do not create your own rules for what discipleship looks like. What are we supposed to do? Teach everything that Jesus obeyed. Teach the word. Teach the word, just not your opinion, just not to stay away from this person, but to teach the word. It's not simply to be nice and to only talk about life problems. And the best part about all of it for me is he will be with us. As we do this, as we make disciples, guess who's going to be with us? God will. When you're out with some hoodlums of the Dirty Burg playing basketball, trying to make disciples, Christ is with me. If you want to encounter God's presence, make disciples. Teach them to obey everything God has taught us to obey. God increases in our lives when we begin to live for Him and for others. Our communities need Jesus and looking and waiting is not making it happen. Our job is not just knowing the gospel, but to display and to teach the gospel. I want a gospel I don't want a gospel that serves me. I want a gospel that transforms me and transforms others. I don't need to share the gospel with Ken. Ken knows the gospel. You know what I'm supposed to, as a Christian, what I'm supposed to do? Display the gospel to Ken. Love, kindness, self-control. I'll display it, commitment, covenant. There are people in this world who need you to share the gospel with them. Share it with them, share this week, outreach in our communities. So what I'm gonna do is um, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask God, when you look at Matthew 9:38, 38, that it asks the Lord of the harvest to send workers. I'm gonna ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. But what I want to challenge you in is this, is I want you to stand with me if you are willing to start a conversation with an unbeliever this week about the gospel and be one of the workers who would stand, um, stand up and say, I'm willing to be undignified this week. Guys, it is not easy. Every time I'm called to share the gospel with someone at the store, I freak out but I look fear in the face, right? I look everything else in the face and I say, I'm gonna do it because it's not about me. I fear God more than I fear that person's response to me. So if you're willing to start a conversation with an unbeliever this week, if you're willing to share the good news with someone this week, would you stand as I pray? Is it frightening? Yes. Is it required of Christians? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. I'm gonna pray. God, challenging message, God, um, to help this generation learn about you. Reveal to us very clearly today and tomorrow if we wake up, God, who you want us to share the gospel with. God, I pray that we would um, encourage someone at the gas station, small steps. God, maybe just um, sharing the gospel today would just be a piece of it by saying, hey, certified worker, Jesus really loves you. And then the next time you get 10 on pump two, you go to that person and you say, are you born again? God, give us strategies, give us techniques. May we be people that hunger and thirst to make disciples bless us this week. God, may your spirit just overwhelm us with your love and ideas. I pray that we would be in our words this week to know how to preach the gospel, what the gospel message even is. That Jesus Christ, we all uh, fall short of the glory of God, but you sent your only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could forever live that if we would um, confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose three days later, that we can live forever in eternity. God, may we preach that good news to someone this week. In Jesus' name, amen.